Welcome to We Talk Banking and Finance from Walkers, where every fortnight we talk to colleagues and peers about the latest trends in offshore finance. We are absolutely delighted to welcome you to our inaugural podcast. I'm Zoe Hallam, Group Partner in our Guernsey office, and my co-host today is Julia Kepi, Senior Counsel in our Jersey office. Julia has recently had to endure a COVID quarantine with a six-year-old and looks extremely excited to be out of her house and in a studio today. Is that right, Julia? That is somewhat correct. Yes, Zoe. Thank you for that. (laughs) Reflecting on the long summer holidays, I think it is fair to say that we have not seen the usual slowdown in August. Despite borders opening up, it sadly doesn't feel like many people have taken a summer holiday. Similar experience for you, Zoe? Absolutely same experience here. Um, Yeah, I, I... Predicted a slowdown at the end of July um, as people were going to go and enjoy a summer holiday, but it didn't happen. Um, fortunately for us, I guess it's kept us very busy in the office, um, and, and, and very happy to say that, that that levels are high in terms of activity in the market. Yeah, agreed. Well, one topic that continues to dominate headlines is ESG, which incidentally Walkers is discussing in our next podcast ahead of COP26. And what I was reading last week and reported in the Times on 6th of September is that one third of the 189 applications to the Financial Reporting Council's UK code, which sets standards for, among others, asset managers, were not approved. While there are some discussions for certain applicants that this is related to format rather than content, this really underscores the need to get ESG targets right. Arguably, monitoring the fulfilment of these is the next key phase in the ESG boom specifically where funds and companies have set out meaningful ESG criteria, whether these are actually being met. Anyway, Zoe, please can you do the honours and tell us all about the debut podcast from Walkers. So today's podcast is fund finance focused, and you won't find two bigger fund finance fans than Julia and I in the Walkers Channel Islands offices. Both of us have worked in the fund finance industry for over a decade across both the US and uh, European markets. And one thing I think that's obviously much talked about um, globally is the growth of the market and the increased number of players in it uh, over the last 15 to 20 years. Um, We've seen an influx of new lenders, including mid-market and challenger banks. And and recently, increasingly, we see the debt funds taking positions um, on certain types of fund facilities. And in many cases, I think, you know, I think the thing to note is that the different types of lenders are taking complementary positions vis-a-vis the same client. So each of them finding um, an opportunity according to their risk appetite and, and their credit limits for that institution. This is all great news for the industry, uh, bigger funds, more banks uh, and a developing market where banks and funds are working together to formulate increasingly bespoke solutions for their clients. So business is certainly brisk, not only for walkers, but for all the players in the market. Uh, And Julia, perhaps on that note, you'd like to introduce our guest today. I certainly would. And thank you, Zoe, very much for setting the scene. Today, we are talking to Mo Sondi, Senior Director in the Debt Finance Team at Oak North Bank. Mo, thank you so much for speaking to Walkers today. Thank you for having me. Our very genuine pleasure. Um, So when we caught up in September last year, as was widely reported in the financial press at the time, you had just completed your first subline with Blue Gem. Tell us, what have you been up to in the fund finance space since then? Yeah, look, it's been an incredibly interesting time since September last year. We were just coming out of the first lockdown and the world was in a different place. You know, we we didn't know that we were going to come come into another further two lockdowns. Obviously, the Delta variant was a long way away and so forth. And and the world was, I said, on a positive footing at that stage. I think in the the fund space, what was really notable 
from September onwards was a real sort of acceptance that liquidity was key in the market, irrespective of the size of fund that you were, irrespective of the subsector that you're investing in, is that through the pandemic, people realized that, that we can be the best fund in the world, but we should always have access to liquidity because the underlying investments are illiquid. So we've been having a number of um, conversations with different sizes of fund around liquidity options. Um, what's the best funding solution for them? Whether they're established, whether they're new funds want to take advantage of what the opportunities the pandemic brings with them. And it's been incredibly interesting. And that goes across a range of products from capital call facility to a liquidity line to hybrid facilities to sort of NAV facilities. And I think all four have become incredibly relevant. And the market is evolving you know, quite rapidly. So I think actually the pandemic has made, in particular, the fund finance market more innovative and more open to funding solutions. So I've definitely seen more, more funds and spoken to more funds who were reluctant on leverage for a, different, for a variety of different reasons um, pre-pandemic saying, actually, we'd like to talk about it. We'd like to learn more. You know, it's something we're seriously considering. And, and a number of them have transacted, which I think is fantastic. And I think, again, it, it's, it's very sensible for a fund to look at their funding requirements. Um, and sometimes you need, unfortunately, a crisis to prod them to do that. But I think, fortunately, the positive thing is that we are, I think we're an incredibly liquid market at this point. So fast forward effectively 10 months, I think the fund finance market has recovered incredibly quickly. I think there's banks, uh, direct lending funds, and there's lots of pockets of capital out there that are looking to keenly to deploy and work with funds going forward. And, and we're one of those. So I think it's been an incredibly exciting time for us. No, that's fantastic. And, you know, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that because I did want to touch on the opportunities that the pandemic has provided for you and, and for the market generally. So would you say this sort of wide range of variety of financial products has been the key market development over the past 18 months alongside the growth in the, in the variety of lenders as well? Yeah, I think both, to be fair. I think traditionally pre-pandemic, I think a lot of people viewed this market as pretty much, I would say, largely dominated by capital call facilities. There was a few stuff around the edges. You know, people had done liquidity lines, people had done hybrid facilities, NAV facilities, had been talked about, but not widely utilised, I would say. And most most funds wouldn't really discuss NAV facilities because I think there was a connotation that a NAV facilities was something a fund looks at if they can't raise appropriate capital. Um, and it's seen more as maybe as a defensive tool. But I think now, I think the market accepts that actually a NAV facility can be defensive as well as offensive, as in like, you know, if you're raising money against a range of assets at low leverage can be a great way to help the fund to grow and develop it further. It doesn't necessarily need to be defensive. I think also funds realize that there's so much value that they've locked up into, say, a fund one vehicle if they're looking at fund three, that why would they not look at that as a funding option? And I think financial institutions are, are much more open to looking at that. I mean, we're fortunate in the respect that we've got the resource, we've always had the resource to not only look at the fund and its LPs and the GP, but you know, I've got the resource to look at the underlying investments and that gives me a USB in the market. So a NAV facility is something that I can do relatively in short order if we choose to do that. And we've got the skill set in one team to do that. The challenges that you've had with, with facilities like these in the past with other small banks in particular is, is that 
if they go to the fund financing desk and say, can you look at a NAV facility and say, for example, I'll use real estate as the example, the fund finance team will say, I can do you a fund loan, but for a NAV facility, I need to understand the underlying assets. And does that go to my real estate team? And the real estate team will go, I understand the underlying assets, but I know nothing about a fund. It's like, how do I marry the two? And then you get caught between two stools. And we're fortunate that we don't because you've just got, fortunately, unfortunately, you've got myself and my team to look at it. And we're, we're, I think we're pretty good at both. So it gives us a USP in that space. And I, and I think that's what gives us the edge. And I think, it, again, it creates innovation because I think the fund, the fund management, particularly conversations that I've had, appreciates talking to someone not only understands how the fund dynamics works, but understands the underlying investment class. Because I think in this market, you want to work with people that you really believe understand your business model. Well, on that, that note then, Mo, I mean, what role do you see fund finance playing in the broader fund mar- funding market going forward? I, I think it plays an incredibly important role. I, I don't think the general public, I would say, appreciate how much funds are involved in the day-to-day things that we all look at and as sort of consumers purchase and they own and they sort of control. And I think having a very liquid fund market is incredibly good for the consumer um, and for the wider market. I think it's taken time for the fund market to innovate. And I think, again, the pandemic, look, the pandemic's been terrible for lots of different reasons. But I think one positive that's come out, it's forced the fund finance market to be much more creative and work closer with the funds to find solutions to a common problem that they have about how do they maximize value for all their stakeholders. And I see us as a stakeholder. I don't, you know, we're not just a balance sheet lender saying, I've got some cheap money where you take it because one is I'm not cheap. Um, and, and secondly, that's not our, not our raising debt of doing it like that. You know, we're there genuinely to work with them and help them grow. So I've personally found it really interesting. We've learned a lot about each other, you know, partnering. You know, we talk about, you know, banks will talk about a lot about partnering pre-pandemic, but I think actually a crisis will show you who your real partners are and do they really understand you. So that, that for me has been one of the real plus points here. Thanks, Mo. So interesting, picking up on that sort of partnering point. So fund financing facilities, particularly subline, seen as a very safe product, well reported. However, there have been a few should we say, isolated incidents of fraud are appearing in the media. So w- when you're sort of entering into this partnership, do you as a bank see fraud or investor default as being an increased credit risk going forward? Great question. Look, I think they're two different things. I think fraud, look, let's be honest, if someone wants to carry out a fraudulent activity, they will carry out a fraudulent activity. There's only so much diligence you can do on that. I think it goes down to actually really understanding the fund that you work with, the people you're working with, who are the LPs in the fund and the diligence they've carried out. And again, I think what's critical in the fund space, not just because I'm speaking to Zoe here, I think having the right legal team is incredibly important in the fund finance space, more than all the other asset classes I've looked at. So my background is leverage finance and project finance. So it's incredibly important. But I think in funds, it's to a different level because the diligence that's needed, because as you sort of said there, from a credit perspective, it's relatively modest compared to maybe leverage finance and project finance. So therefore, your, your real risk you're taking is diligence here. And the people carrying out your diligence are the law firms that you appoint. And that's why I would always say, always appoint the very best in the space to make sure it's done properly. So the fraud piece is critically important that you cover it off through that. And to be fair, walkers are good at that, right? But regarding... Do I see fraud as an issue? Fraud will always be an issue when there's 
human incentive to defraud someone. We, I think we mitigate around that, to be fair. I think we do an incredible amount of diligence. I'm very comfortable that we don't have fraudists, but you know, you never know until it happens, unfortunately, if someone wants to do that. But I think we take all the, the steps necessary to prevent that. So that's one side of it. I think defaulting investors is a different question because the way I look at that is, is that if I'm an investor in a fund, and say that that fund, for example, has invested in, let's let's look at leasehold bars in city centres, which have been hammered through the pandemic. And I've committed £10 million of capital to them, and I've put in five already. And that five million is worth zero right now. And then that, that GP comes to me and says, I want your other five now. Where does the point come where that LP says, you know what, you've burnt all my money, there's no value left in this, Reputationally, yes, I'm committed, but you can go sue me for the money because I'm not going to put it in. Do I think that will happen? I think it will because this is where I think the GPs need to be honest as well and keep their investors informed of performance, what are they doing? Because it's not beyond the wit to say that the LP will turn around to you and say, actually, you know what? I'm not happy with the performance. I don't want to pay. I'm not going to put more money into this. This has gone horribly wrong. You've taken your fees. So you're okay, but my hard money, I've got, I've got to go back to my investors and tell them, well, why have I put more money in knowing that it's going to be nil value? So I think there is a chance to that happening. And then, then the question becomes, if one defaults, then the rep risk, because at the moment there's this whole thing that there's never been a defaulting investor because the other uncle capital have effectively come around and protected the position. So the fund has always kept hold. Does that magnify the issue? No one knows yet how that works out. And I think the funds need to, in my view, the funds need to be proactive. And if they have got a position where values have been decimated, is really talk to their investors and say, and give them real comfort around what are they doing? How will they try to maintain the value, stop it falling further? Why should they invest again? What I wouldn't do as a fund is assume just because you're contractually committed, the money's coming in. I think that's dangerous. Because if I'm a personal investor, I just want to know why is it still a good thing to put my hard-earned money in this market after a bad investment. So that, that's a, so I, I don't think we will see much of that at all. I'll be honest, because I think we're I think the, the people we're dealing with are incredibly sophisticated. But I think fund managers do need to be like that, and they can't rely on our reputation. No one will ever do that. I, I think that's naive. Now, may we always ask our guests to bring a crystal ball along with them. Um, I think you touched briefly on on what you see the next, you know, ten months looking like. But um, but but yeah, the next ten months, the next year, eighteen months. What are your what are your predictions for the future? Um, so I, I think the market will continue to innovate. I think it will become continue to become more relevant. Um, I think what will be interesting is is that. I think you will start seeing defaults in the underlying portfolio companies. That's naturally going to happen because furlough is ending, C-bills has ended, banks are going to want to protect their balance sheets. I think that's going to happen. Therefore, they're going to be asking more of their funds to either inject money or take corrective action in some sort of way. It'll be interesting in what happens to the funds and what do they do. You know, Are they on the front foot? Are they talking to their to their funding partners right now to raise liquidity and support those companies? Are they acquiring other companies to boost earnings? Will you see, as I mentioned a moment ago, will you see the value of the fund 
materially decrease and therefore the LPs ask some awkward questions then. I also see that that may be a trigger for some of the liquidity in the market to reduce. And therefore, I think we'll come back to a more normalized market. I think at the moment where we are right now, I personally think that it's the liquidity is out of kilter for the credit risk in the market. I think it's an incredibly hot market. I think you've got lots of capital flowing into fund finance because they think it's a relatively risk-free market. And to be fair, the default statistics today do back that up. So I think it, the market will continue to innovate. I think liquidity will come out of the market. I think there'll be some play, some financial institutions who will remain consistent and disciplined like ourselves and will continue to offer value-add product. And I think and I think the funds will also there'll also be a number of new number of funds who will raise money for the first time as well in the next 12 months, which I think is incredibly interesting. That's brilliant, Mo. Thank you so much. It's it's really interesting to hear your thoughts on how busy you're expecting to be. So hopefully it is it is carries on as it has been. And in particular on the sort of portfolio company default, which perhaps more people expected at the start of the pandemic, perhaps that's just been sort of pushed down the road. You know, as you mentioned, the government support being withdrawn, but definitely a space to watch. So, you know, thank you so much for joining Walkers on We Talk Banking and Finance. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you today and we really look forward to catching up again soon. Fantastic. Thank you again very much for the input and look forward to catching up and hopefully meeting in person soon. Thank you everyone for listening. If you'd like to read more about fund finance, there's lots of information on the Walkers website, walkersglobal.com, including our recent publication on alternative fund lenders, which ties in really well with what Mo has been speaking about today. Thanks again. You've been listening to We Talk Banking and Finance from Walkers. If you've enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe.